Would you please take your Bibles and turn in them to the book of Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2, we're going to read two verses today that are printed in the bulletin. You can follow along there if you'd like. It's verses 6 and 7. These are great verses, though. <clears throat> We've reached sort of a turning point today in the book of Colossians. This is kind of a transition that takes us from essentially what, what is the very extended introduction to the book, now sort of starting into the real main section, kind of the body of this letter that Paul is sending to the church. This is the beginning. This, uh, verse 6 starts with this word, therefore, and that marks the transition that he is starting to make. So, uh, let me ask, if you're able, would you please join me in standing as we read God's holy word together today? Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let's pray one more time. Father, we're so thankful for your word, that in your grace and mercy you have given us, under the inspiration of your spirit, to make us wise unto salvation to give us everything that we need for our lives, everything that we need for growing in godliness, for submitting ourselves to you, for living a life that is pleasing to you. So Lord, we ask that you would teach us. Lord, press your word on our hearts. May we receive it with joy. May we store it up in our hearts. And may we practice it in our lives. We pray these things through Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. So these are the transition verses. This is what is now taking us from where we've been and in, in everything that has gone on so far in the first chapter plus a few verses has been this big uh, introduction, which is not to say it's not important. He's introduced some really grand themes and it's vital to the letter. But now he's, he's making this transition saying, therefore, just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Those two halves of that one verse are kind of represent the two halves of the book of Colossians. In fact, uh, you could say this verse on its own really sums up the entire message of the book of Colossians. We received Christ Jesus who is Lord. That's the first chapter. This, uh, so much in there about the richness of who Jesus is, of what he has done for us, of his glory, both as the Lord of the old creation, uh, creator of all things, but also the Lord of the new creation, that he is the head of the body, which is the church. And now the second half of the verse, so walk in him, is a summary of the second half of the book. And everything in the next couple of chapters is filling out what that means to walk in Christ. In fact, we know this is part of the transition because this uh, phrase, when he says walk in him, that's a command. That's the first command that we read in the book of Colossians. Now there are going to be a lot that come in, in quick succession in the next chapter and a half, but that is the very first one. And that divides the book in an important way, and, and this is part of how we think about the good news of the gospel, the indicative and the imperative. Right? There's the indicative that tells us what is true, 
That's not, that's not command. That's not instruction. That's just telling us here is the reality. This is the truth. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done. But then we go on from that to the imperative. An imperative is a command or an instruction. That's where we say this is how you are to live. In light of who Jesus is and in light of what he has done for us, therefore you live this way. See, that's what verse 6 says. As you received Christ Jesus, so now walk in him. It looks back to the reality of who Jesus is and then instructs us that therefore we are to walk with Christ. You have to have both. You have to have both the indicative, what is true about Christ, and the imperative, what ought to be true about the way that we live. You have to have both. And what I want us to see, both in verse 6 and verse 7 here, is that, that Paul makes this transition and he introduces this idea of walking with Christ and he does it with a series of metaphors. And I want us to focus especially on two of these images that Paul uses for the Christian life. First, what it means to walk in him. As he says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, now walk in him. That's a metaphor. That's a that's an analogy for life. And the second one, right at the beginning of verse 7, he says, rooted and built up in him. That's a different kind of metaphor for describing the Christian life. And these two metaphors together are so uh, instructive. They're so insightful. The, the, these pictures that they paint with so much, uh, so much detail that goes into these pictures of what it means to live the Christian life, I want us to think about these two things. So first of all, I want us to talk about what it means to walk with Jesus. He says, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. The Christian life is a life of walking with Jesus. Now, if you have a different translation other than the ESV, your, might, your Bible might say something like, As you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so live in him. That kind of means the same thing, but that's kind of a bummer because you lose that beautiful metaphor that, that's there. It says walk, right? It, it's, it's giving us this picture of what life with Jesus is to be like. Right? Walking is not running. The Christian life is not a sprint. But it's also not a marathon, which is good, because I can't run marathons. It says it's a walk. As you've received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. Walking is something we do every day. Even now, we, we walk every day. It's of necessity. Think about when Paul would have written this letter, walking was even more of a necessity and filled even more of their time. It's a very ordinary picture. Walking is an ordinary activity that you do throughout the day. Right? Whether it's walking to the fridge or to the car or, or from your car to the grocery store or, or around the block or walking the dog, whatever it is, we walk throughout the day. We are constantly walking. It's a very ordinary picture. The metaphor simply means that, that we are to live with Christ. It's not singling out one part of life, not focusing just on maybe a religious component. It's not trying to compartmentalize life with Christ. It's giving this very broad, ordinary picture. It's saying whatever you do, you live all of your life and you are to live it with Christ. He is in part of everything. I think that's part of the point of this metaphor. It's saying that, that walking with Christ is an ordinary, everyday thing. And in fact, I think that, that this is exactly what is so insightful and profound about these verses 
is that it's so ordinary. Right? The, the profundity here is in the ordinariness. That the life with Christ is simply every day, all day, living with him. Our walk with Jesus is not meant to be uh, just going to church, just having our, our private devotions. It's an everyday life where we walk with Jesus throughout every part of life. That he is involved in everything that we do. Think about these words that you've probably heard from the book of Deuteronomy. Right In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, it's verse 6. God gives these commands, and remember, this is part of his giving of the law to the people for the second time. He's already delivered the law. He's given them his covenants and his word, and now, as he's giving them back, this is one of the very first instructions. Uh, he says, it's Deuteronomy chapter 6, he says, These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Here's the instruction for how God's people are to receive his law in the Old Testament. He says, it's not just meant to be sort of peripheral to your life. It is the very heart of your life. He says, talk about this. Talk about it with your family. Talk about it with one another, whether you're sitting in the house, whether you're out walking along the way, when you're lying down, when you're getting up. So tie it on your hands, on your foreheads between your eyes. That was simply an instruction to say, never let this word be far from you. That this is to be your life. It's to guide you in everything you do. Right? The law was not meant to be uh, categorized to simply one small component of everyday life. It said, this is your life. This is your life. Pay attention to it. The law of God is to interact with every part of your life. And if that's true then for when God gave his law, how much more for when he gives his gospel? How much more are we to talk about this? Whether we're in our house or walking along the way, lying down, rising up, but it's to be always with us, bound on our hands and, and between our eyes. That's why walking with Christ is, is a practical thing. It's an everyday thing. It's a metaphor that, that impacts all of life. The very ordinary parts of life are meant to be infused with the reality that we walk not on our own, but that we walk with Christ, that our lives are with him. We are to learn how to speak the gospel to ourselves and to one another at all times. Again, whether we're sitting in the house or walking in the way, lying down, rising up. Some people have referred to this practice. They say we are to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Right? That gets at the heart of this reality that the gospel is for us every day, that we need it. And it's absolutely necessary. But there's a different phrase for it that I've come to like even better. Preaching the gospel to yourself can sound a little intimidating. It can sound a little maybe too churchy. You say, well, I don't know how to preach. Right? What am I... Do I have to have a pulpit in my house to do this to myself every day? So I've started to prefer the phrase, not, not preaching the gospel, but simply gospel fluency. Gospel fluency is what we're to pursue. The goal is to become fluent in gospel truth, able to speak it easily, naturally, to be adept at speaking into any situation with the reality of the gospel. 
Isn't that what it means to be fluent? It mean, to be fluent in a language means that language is completely second nature to you. You don't have to, to think very you know, deeply as you're speaking it. You can just speak it into any situation. You know it so deeply that it just rolls off your tongue. That's what it is to be fluent. When I was in high school, I took Spanish as my foreign language requirement. And I did really good in my Spanish classes. But only in my Spanish classes. Because I was at that point where I learned the lessons very well. I learned all my, my verbal declensions. I could, I could do the translations that were required on the work. And so I got good grades in my class, but I never got fluent in the language. I never got to that point outside of class where Spanish could just roll off my tongue without thinking about it. See, it's easy for us to get to a point in our Christian life where that's how we know the gospel. We might be able to pass the test, Right? We know the truth of it in our minds. We've learned it. We've done well in our lessons. Our Sunday school lessons, our devotions, we've learned the reality of the gospel, but we never get to that point where we're fluent in it, where it just rolls off our tongue in any situation, where we're able to speak and to apply the gospel to everyday life situations that we find ourselves in. That's gospel fluency. Being able to speak the truth of the gospel to others as well as to your own heart at those times when you need it most throughout the day, when you speak and when you walk and when you rise and when you sit. See, gospel fluency means we not only know the truth of the gospel, but we're able to speak it to ourselves and to those around us. So, some examples. Maybe you're feeling discouraged because something hasn't gone well. Perhaps a a project at work didn't turn out like you thought. Something else you were working hard on just just didn't pan out according to your vision and you're discouraged. You're feeling down on yourself. See, gospel fluency says you know how to say to yourself or to someone else at that point, you know what? God has transferred you out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom you have forgiveness. And God no longer looks at you according to your accomplishments, according to your successes or your failures, according to how good you think you've done at life or how poorly you feel that you've failed. God looks at you through the lens of his son, Jesus Christ, and all of Christ's righteousness is yours. So yes, it, it may be disappointing to not see projects go as planned, but think on this and take heart. We need to walk in that. To walk with Christ is to live in that reality. Or again, maybe you're having a day where you're feeling stressed out. You're, you're thinking about all of the things in your life that are simply out of your control. You're anxious about your kids, the issues in their lives. You're anxious about whether you're really doing enough, whether you should be doing more. And in a situation like that, we need to be fluent in gospel realities, to be able to say to ourselves or to someone else that we need to remember Jesus is the head of the body, not you. Jesus is the king of his church. Jesus is the one in whom all things hold together, and he is before all things. Jesus is in control, and he has demonstrated to you his love in the most ultimate way, going to the cross, forgiving your sin, making you his, And his love for you never fails. 
How much he who did not spare his only son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And see, we are to rest in that reality, to be walking along with that reality. Because it won't be possible for us just to jump into something like chapter 3 and to to say, okay, let's walk in humility and meekness and kindness and patience if at the same time we're simply taking all the weight of the world onto our own shoulders or if we're finding our identity in our performance, not in Christ. We cannot get to these imperatives that are to follow about what it looks like to walk with Christ and to live in him if we have not first uh, mastered chapter 1 with the reality of who Christ is, the reality of what he has done for us. Or one other example, maybe, maybe your struggle is loneliness. And what you need to hear is, is the gospel truth that God takes the lonely and he sets them in families. And he sets them in families even at the cost of his own son. That's the depth of his love for us. He's redeemed you from all sin and sadness and brokenness. And there is coming a day when we will never, ever sin again. Every tear will be wiped from our eyes not because of what we are doing or because we are accomplishing that, but because God already has accomplished that. And he has brought us into that reality, into that future with Christ. You see, it's this gospel fluency that allows us to bridge the gap between the indicatives, knowing the reality of of who Christ is, knowing gospel truth, we're saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ. That's the reality But how do we bridge the gap from that into the imperatives, into things like we are to walk in humility? Blessed are the meek. We are to be kind and patient, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. It's, it's, It's our ability to be fluent with the gospel to bridge this gap between what is true and what to do. We are to walk with Christ. Everyday, ordinary situations to walk with him. Now, the second metaphor starts verse 7, as he says, we are to walk in him, rooted and built up in him. Rooted in Christ. Now, the metaphor is different. Here are the metaphors of a tree. Right? That we're to be meta- rooted in him. This is one of the Bible's favorite metaphors for those who trust in the Lord. We already heard Jeremiah 17 uh, as our uh, assurance of forgiveness that Alan was about to start preaching on that. I was about ready to give him the baton and, and sit back and enjoy that. Because is it not true that, that here in Southern California, this is a, a desert? That's our climate. It's a desert. But the only place that trees grow naturally without artificial uh, watering is by, by water, by streams. And you find these streams in the valleys and there's this lush greenery surrounded by all you know, the, the dead brown chaparral that we're used to. And that's what Jeremiah says. That we are like the trees Psalm 1 says the same thing. That the righteous person is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. and all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the shaft that the wind drives away. Again, Isaiah 61. When, when he proclaims, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor. Why? That they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Throughout the Bible, the righteous person is the tree. Now, think about the tree for a minute. We all know a little bit about some basic tree biology, right? The tree has roots. 
The roots go down into the ground. They give stability and strength, and their job is to absorb nutrients and water from the soil that the tree is rooted in. Okay? The, the job of the roots of a tree is to provide nutrients and water that they gain from the soil that the tree is rooted in. And when the roots are doing their job successfully, they, they absorb the strength from the soil and it, it's taken up into the tree and the tree will grow and it, it makes leaves and it produces fruit. But it does that as the, as the roots are doing their job. If you have a tree that is rooted in sand or a dry soil where there's no water and there's no nutrients, what happens to that tree? We know what happens. It dies. It may be dormant for a time, but it will ultimately die if the roots are not gaining nourishment and water. Here's what Paul says. As you have received Christ as Lord, be rooted in Christ. Be rooted in Christ He says, you are a tree and your roots, the part that absorb life-giving water and life-giving nutrition, your roots are to be in Christ. That's where your spiritual life and vitality comes from. That's where your strength and stability, your ability to withstand storms comes from. It comes from a healthy root system that is deeply rooted into Christ. And if we do so, we will live. But if we're rooted in poor spiritual soil and your roots are not being sent down into Christ, then you won't be gaining any spiritual nutrients. And you'll become spiritually dormant. And go long enough with that and you will be spiritually dead. Trees aren't designed to live in bad soil. Christians aren't designed to live without Christ. Paul actually, he alluded to this metaphor in, the, in his introduction, chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, where he said... He's he's praying and he says, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing. Again, verse 10 of chapter 1, that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. How can we think about this metaphor in in a way that is practical and in a way that is helpful to us? We pointed out already that Colossians is divided roughly into two halves, the the indicative of what is true, the reality of Christ, and the imperative, the section where it's giving us instruction and teaching in practical ways that we're to live for Christ. Uh, Think about these two parts of Colossians as corresponding roughly to the two parts of a tree, the the part that's underground and the part that is above ground. So he says you are to be rooted in Christ. That is, our roots are to be deep in Christ in the indicative. What is true about Christ? The source of life, the source of spiritual nutrition for the good of your soul is in Christ. And if you are going to be a tree that produces any fruit in your life, you must be rooted in Christ. That's where we are to draw all the, the nutrients from. And so, I think of it this way. When we do Bible study... Or when we're, when we're learning, when we're perhaps reading about Christ, when we're learning theology, what is that meant to be? That's sort of like working on the root system of the tree. That is strengthening the roots, strengthening our roots' ability to really draw nutrients, to really absorb water from the soil so we have a healthy, robust root system. Of course, 
that's not the end goal. The goal of roots is to, to feed the tree so the tree produces fruit. But we need at times to work on the root system so that it's healthy. To be rooted in the realities of things we read and studied in chapter 1, the truth that God is the one who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That you don't qualify yourself. Or to be rooted in the reality that God has delivered you from the domain of darkness. He has transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son. The great truths about Christ, that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, that everything that exists was created by him and for him, that he is the head of the church, the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, that he has made peace by the blood of his cross. See, that's, that's this gospel soil that our hearts need to be rooted into, sunk down deep in, to live in that, to draw strength from that. And the upper part of the tree, then, is, is the imperatives. It's the commands. It's everyday life. It's all of these therefores that we find throughout the rest of the book where he tells us things like, we are to put to death sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness. That we're to show compassion, to be kind, to be humble, to be meek. That we're to put on love. But we're to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. That wives are to submit to their husbands, and husbands are to love their wives and not be harsh with them. All of these things that he says, these are, are like these are the fruit that grows on the tree. But how do you produce that kind of fruit in your life? Well, a tree only produces fruit if it's in well-watered soil, and if it's healthy, and if those roots are doing their job. A Christian only produces fruit if he's rooted in Christ. And he has the healthy roots of faith that are regularly taking that nutrition in, that are absorbing those nutrients. See, sometimes, you know, if you're like me, sometimes I'll have times when, when I open the Bible and I, wanna, I just want to read something really practical. Right, so I might jump to chapter 3. Get some real you know, down-to-earth instruction. And that's great. It's a very practical chapter and it's good, but, but if that's all we ever did, if we never studied Christ, See, it would be like a, a tree that's trying to bear fruit that has no roots. We're actually short-circuiting the, the very means of growth that, that he is describing for us. Now, the flip side of it may be that maybe we love to work on the roots. Maybe we just want to say, I just need some, some good, deep, orthodox theology to delight in and to soak in for a while, to, to love this. And so I go straight to Colossians 1. Right? And that's good, too. That's good, too. I'm strengthening the roots. Right? I'm, I'm growing them so they can absorb more of Christ. But it's not good if I never get to chapter 2 and 3. Right? If I never get to the, the fruit, the practical, and I'm just stuck in theology that is not bearing fruit. See, the point of the tree is that the, the roots feed the tree in order to produce fruit in the life of the tree. And Paul says to us, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. It's both. We, we have received him. Now we are to walk in him. Now we are to be rooted and built up in him, strengthened and established. Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. That's why this, this, these two verses, six and seven, these are the hinge. The hinge that takes us from everything that he's told us is true to now he's going to 
He's going to lay it out for us and say, this is what it means to walk with Christ. This is what it looks like. This gospel fluency that produces fruit in your life. And he's going to lay it out for us. The next chapter and a half is all of his instructions. What would a life look like that is walking with Christ day by day? What would that look like? Because as you've received Christ Jesus, now we are to walk in him. As we were rooted in him, now we are to be strengthened and established, growing in the faith, producing the fruit of righteousness that he delights in. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our God, our Redeemer, and our friend. Lord, we praise you that you have loved us in Christ, that you have redeemed us in Christ, that you have transferred us out of the darkness into the light of Christ, that we may walk with him in the joyful company of all the saints. We pray, Lord, that you would build us up in joy and in peace, that we might live a life that is pleasing to you. Lord, our desire is to be in these oaks of righteousness, rooted deeply in Christ, producing fruit. We pray that by the power of your Spirit, you will use your word that it might bear fruit many, many times that which has been sown in our hearts. Lord, we ask that you would continue your work in our lives. Lord, the patient progress of sanctification, that you who have began this work, and you will most certainly bring it about to completion. So, Father, may we submit ourselves to the good work that you have begun. May we be patient. May we work along with you. May we take joy in the progress as we see it. And, Lord, may you... Uh, be glorified in the lives of your people as we now walk with Christ, rooted in him. We pray these things in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.